I was inspired to do today's episode because I've been having some interactions with people on Twitter, and today's episode is going to be a combination of things. One, it is definitely going to be about palm oil. As I'm sure you you know that palm oil is really bad for wildlife diversity, biodiversity in general, that in order to create these palm oil plantations, that rainforests in Southeast Asia are being clear cut. And this is a direct um, threat to orangutans, especially, or that's the charismatic species associated with it. So uh, immediately, everyone thinks that palm oil is bad. But I learned a year ago that the solution what is not boycotting palm oil, which I'll get into in this episode. So part of it, um, this episode is recapping this this conservation insight that I had about a year ago, and I wrote a blog post about it, and I did a YouTube video about it, and somehow I became like intertwined with a couple of Twitter handle people, I guess they're real people, who like think I'm this big advocate for palm oil, like that I'm like actually like part of the industry or something. And I just wrote a blog post and like I said, a YouTube channel. But I wrote this because I was really surprised. I had been boycotting palm oil for so long because of its devastation on orangutans and other species in that area. But I learned that this is not the best solution for conservation. So in this episode, you'll learn why. But even more deeply than that, I really want to go into why wildlife conservation is not just about the wildlife. And actually, hardly it's ever about the wildlife. I know that sounds crazy, but so many of the threats that wildlife faces has nothing to do with studying the animal itself. If you've listened to earlier episodes, you've heard about me doing research on African forest elephants. I can research these animals like crazy, but if we don't stop the poaching, they are going to be dead. And yes, that involves scientific research, but it involves scientific research on the human side of things. And it has to deal with understanding government, corruption, economics, human social behavior, all of those things. And that's actually why I'm here doing this podcast and why I have changed my career to be more of a science communicator with a particular emphasis on conservation and wildlife. Because I've realized through my scientific research is that we can do all the research we want and find these incredible things that are, are threatening the whatever species you're studying or ecosystem you're studying. But if we don't implement policy or if people don't make changes, then these threats are going to still be there. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that scientific research isn't important. We need to understand what is going on. But for some species like African forest elephants and other scientists who study them have said the exact same thing. Actually, I heard Andrea Turkal. She is the most famous or or the most most expert on African forest elephants. She studied them in Zangabai for at least 20 years. And she studies elephant communication, or that's part of it, along with Peter Regg. And there was a PBS documentary on them. 
and and they kept on t- or they would ask about elephant language like this so they were able to associate certain sounds with certain behaviors and therefore interpret words and they were talking about like an elephant dictionary and Andrea was like so many people ask us about this elephant dictionary but she's like we can't work on this until forest elephants are really protected and the poaching goes down because what is the point of learning an elephant dictionary if we're letting this species get slaughtered so in this episode i really want to talk about the importance of other factors involved in conservation and especially the local community so i really hope you give this a listen because it is incredibly important and also maybe i'll go into some ways i'm dealing with these with these these tweeps <laughs> these tw- i guess tweets tweeps is like twitter peeps i don't know if they're my peeps they hate me but i don't hate them so maybe i'll talk a little bit about dealing with your your haters although i don't i don't officially call them my haters but We'll go into that. Okay, let's get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. Palm oil is bad for biodiversity. So we all agree on that. And I actually was able to visit Malaysia a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, to go to a conference. And I traveled around the country a little bit because I'd never been to that part of the world. And I went to Duramacot Forest. I have some cool blogs on Duramacot and some other places I went to. And as you're going into the forest, it is just surrounded by palm oil. And when you um, take off in your plane, you can see all these palm oil fields. So basically what these look like is they're just plantations of a single crop. So you have this beautiful, pristine, old growth forest, tropical rainforest that has amazing animals like orangutans, clouded leopards, gibbons, and a lot of these animals are are threatened, but the companies come in and they clear cut these forests for palm oil. And you might even see in your feed in your feed if you are if you donate to some organizations or an animal lover, you might have seen these ads with orangutans like clinging to one tree that's left. Or I saw one with like a crane as well. So it's awful. What's happening is totally awful. So for the longest time, I boycotted palm oil. I was like, I don't want to give any money to this industry. And there's also a lot of human rights issues with it too. But today we're going to focus on the wildlife. So for the longest time, I was like, I am not going to buy palm oil. And to be honest, I actually don't buy that much palm oil in general anyway, because I like to eat whole foods. I eat very like basic foods. So, and I'm gluten-free, so I don't eat like a lot of like snacks or or thing or processed foods that come with palm oil in them. So just naturally I don't eat that much palm oil. But palm oil is like really in anything, which we'll get to or in everything. And I was just really shocked when I was, I think it was at this conference or maybe it was before this conference, but 
I somehow learned, I believe it was through the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, I somehow learned about their app that boycotting palm oil could actually have a worse or is likely to have a worse conservation outcome. And I know you're like, okay, that sounds crazy. Like, of course, you're going to boycott this this thing that is destroying animals' habitat. And then also the clear cutting of the forest contributes to climate change. There's also these, these peatlands, when they burn them, it releases carbon to the atmosphere. And then, of course, we don't have the forest anymore, which absorbs carbon. So it's a really big deal. As I mentioned, I was pretty shocked, therefore, that to see at this conservation meeting, this is the premier conservation meeting. It's the International Congress for Conservation Biology. It's um, obviously an international conference. It has representative scientists from all over the world that congregate every other year to talk about conservation. So here you have the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which is a zoo in Colorado in the United States at a conservation meeting telling people about palm oil. So I was shocked to learn that we actually should not be trying to eliminate palm oil, but instead promoting sustainable palm oil as the alternative. And here's why. So palm oil is huge. It is in so many different products. It is in makeup. It's in ice cream. It's in all types of foods, many processed foods, as I mentioned. It is in biofuels. I should mention that this episode is going to focus on more of consumer products, so not biofuels, because I'm not an expert on this issue by any means. And from talking to people at the Shine Mountain Zoo, that biofuels are a different issue, and we do want palm oil removed from biofuels. But I just don't know that much about it, so I don't want to go into it. There's palm oil and just like so many other different things that that's, I want to focus more on the products that consume consumers buy. I'm looking at the World Wildlife Fund's website on palm oil. Let me go over a couple of things. So lipstick, pizza dough, instant noodles, shampoo, margarine, chocolate, soap, bread, cookies. It's in tons of stuff. If everyone were to boycott products that contained palm oil, these companies would need a replacement for this. It's an ingredient in so many different products. And I don't think, well, at least here in America, we don't really buy, or in the United States, we don't really buy palm oil, like a jar of palm oil. Now, yes, you can see it on the grocery shelves, but the way that most people consume it is in these different products that, that they buy where it's one ingredient in it. Therefore, if people demanded that we use something else instead of palm oil, they would need to turn to another oil. Now, here is where the main problem is, and this is the main reason why I am for sustainable palm oil instead of banning palm oil completely, is that palm oil, it makes up 35% of all the vegetable oils, but it is grown on just 10% of the land compared to other oils. So out of all the oil cropland, it only takes about 10%. So in other words, you can get more bang from your, for, for your buck from using less land. It's a more efficient use of land to produce oil. 
And I am getting this information from the IUCN's website, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature. This is a science-based organization. I know people who work alongside the IUCN. They use research to inform decisions. It's made up of governments and other organizations. It's a big international organization. As people moved from palm oil, then they would have to find other alternative oils like rapeseed. I'm not sure what else are the alternatives for the specific area that would be profitable. But the thing is, is that there, people are going to need to make money and the companies are going to look for something to replace that. So it's not like all of these products are just going to start going away. Like, do you really think people are going to stop wearing makeup? So just doing a quick Google search for cosmetic worth, the cosmetic industry in 2020, I'm finding estimates of 49 billion, 39 billion. So, and that is just the cosmetics industry. We're not talking about packaged foods. We're not talking about ice cream, which I guess is a packaged food. But anyway, so these are really big corporations. These are big industries. So it's not like they're just gonna magically not need these products anymore because I we know people. They're not going to give up makeup. They're not going to give up their packaged foods. So at least in the meantime, unless maybe that really happens, it's going to take a long time. Like for, I remember I, I was a vegetarian for a long time and I do eat fish sometimes, but I'm, I tend to be vegan now or mostly vegan. I try to be because it's better for the planet. And they have a whole episode about that. But anyway, I remember when I was vegetarian, like people would be like, well, what's going to happen to all the animals if everyone just stopped eating meat? And it's not going to happen that way. People will slowly change their eating preferences. So it's not like, you know, there's going to be all these homeless cows. It's that you would, would not breed them as much. So as palm oil ends, there are people are going to need ways to make money and companies are going to need to replace these products. And this is just the reality of the situation. It is. So this is a reality we know and we have to accept. And this is part of the reason why I am getting frustrated talking to people on Twitter about this is because they are saying, we need to ban palm oil. Palm oil corporations are awful. They're greedy. They treat their, their workers like crap, like slaves, which is true. But what is the alternative? The alternative is we get rid of palm oil and then we put rapeseed oil in place. And then instead of losing or we're losing four times as much as land to to deforestation for these crops compared to palm oil. Is that the solution? And I received a comment on my blog that this person didn't know what the solution was, that it could be tourism. There's no way that tourism is going to make enough money that palm oil does currently or provide enough jobs. And that's the thing that these people don't understand is that even though these people who are working are working in terrible conditions, they don't have any other choice. And I'm not saying that we should, you know, just accept that. You'll hear what my stances later, but they don't have any other options. And that's why they have these horrible um, work conditions and they have to take these jobs because it's either that 
or starve or take another horrible job. So there's not going to be enough jobs in the tourism industry to be able to sustain all of these people with jobs. So if palm oil is gone, it's going to be replaced by another oil crop. That is the reality of the situation. And this is what the IUCN reports say when they do the studies, when they look at it, that palm oil is actually more efficient. Yes, it is reducing biodiversity, it is killing species, but the impact will is not going to be as bad as it would be if we changed to other crops. So boycotting palm oil is not going to solve anything. Another major argument that I use in my piece is that it's going to be impossible for most people to boycott palm oil. Even if they know something has palm oil in it, I don't think they're going to be like, I'm not going to have that. Like, I mean, I just know human beings. Like, if you think about your favorite Halloween candy, I, I, I think, I don't know, actually, but like, I'm sure like tons of Halloween candy has palm oil in it. And you think people are just going to like stop buying this? No, I just went to this Tony Robbins event and they were talking about diet and they showed videos of animal abuse in the dairy industry and so many people were commenting i'm never going to eat dairy again and while i hope that's true i what i realistically think is that most people will avoid dairy for a while and then kind of block that out of their mind and then start eating dairy again this is just how people are so i and then also there's people who don't care and i mean this saddens me but one of my my friends even i remember i went out with her and i always say no straws in front of people it's really obvious when i'm ordering drinks and stuff and we started talking about it and you know i was talking about how bad it is for ocean life and the story with the turtle and the and the straw being pulled out of the turtle's nostril and she's like yeah that's really sad and everything but you know i still really like my straw and the paper straws, they just don't work for me. I just, you know, I really like a straw. So, and then, you know, some people don't even care about wildlife at all. They're not going to, they don't care about orangutans living halfway across the world. But even if they do care about avoiding palm oil, it is incredibly hard, really, really hard because you're not just looking for palm oil on your ingredient label. Palm oil can be called many different things. It can be called vegetable oil, vegetable fat, palm kernel, palm kernel oil, palm fruit oil, palmate, palmitate, palmolian, glycerol, glycerol? I don't know. I'm I'm hysteric <laughs> acid. These are these are derivatives of palm oil. Palmitic acid. Some of these are really hard to pronounce. Oxo I'm a great scientist, aren't I? Sodium kernelate. Sodium laurel, like all these different things, or sodium sodium laurel sulfate. Do you think that people are really going to carry around like an index card of all these different names? And that's just like maybe like two thirds of the names. There's still a lot more. And remember to look at those for every single product that they buy. Every single one. I just don't think that is realistically going to happen. And somebody comments on my blog. They were like, well, I'm not even a vegetarian, but this is something that I do and it's easy to do. And then they said they weren't sure if palm oil was in their, their shampoo. 
But they also said that that men don't like women who wear a lot of makeup. So women don't even need to wear a lot of makeup. And that his diet, like he doesn't like to eat palm oil because he eats whole foods and stuff like that. And it's like, well, you know, that's great for you. But most people don't live like that. Most people don't have the time to do that, the luxury to do that. And he even admitted he doesn't know if palm oil is in his hair products. So this guy who is conscious about it is not even aware. So it's proving my point that most people aren't going to be able to make this decision even if they want to. Let's now get to the solution. The solution, I believe, is to support sustainable palm oil when you purchase things that have palm oil. And that's what my blog is about. It's about Cheyenne Mountain Zoo's palm oil shopping app. And that's really the whole point of my post is to spread this knowledge. And when you're in the grocery store looking at products, look up the product on their app and see if it is RSPO, if it if it works with the round table on sustainable palm oil, if it's CSPO, certified sustainable palm oil. And RSPO is, it's a separate organization and it's made up of many different organizations and many different types of stakeholders. It's made up of obviously the palm oil industry and corporations, governments, but also nonprofits who care about conservation. That is important. You can also look for their logo on products, but it's not really that obvious. And the goals of certified sustainable palm oil they are the round table is trying to work towards fair working conditions for people protected land and rights for local people no more clear cutting of primary forest to allow wildlife protection on palm oil plantations reduce greenhouse gas emissions and minimize industrial pollution now those are lofty goals and yes there are definitely problems with sustainable palm oil. And lots of people say that there's no such thing as sustainable palm oil because it can be mixed with other non-sustainable palm oil. So they think it's like greenwashing a label and just name alone. Someone else brought this to my attention on Twitter before that there is no evidence of sustainable palm oil. And there's one study showing that there is no difference, but other studies do show decreases in deforestation and decreases in fire incidences. So moving forward, I believe the answer is to push for sustainable palm oil and push the roundtable and corporations to uphold their promises, their mission statements, their goals, and to make it more strict. That's what I believe the solution is because there is no viable alternative. I would like to add that some of the people on Twitter were criticizing me for supporting certified um, sustainable palm oil because of the human rights conditions. The same issue is happening with chocolate, with large chocolate companies, that there is like child, children's slave labor, children, I believe as young as five, six-year-olds working to, for major corporations. And, you know, we think about giving our Halloween candy to kids this age, and these kids are working in the cocoa fields in the chocolate industry. 
But is the solution, oh, we need to get rid of chocolate completely? No, the solution is to buy from companies that have ethical working conditions, that have certifications, that give people jobs that are sustainable for the environment. So that's exactly what we think we need to do with RSPO is push them to be better and stronger. And it's just so frustrating to get, I don't even care about actually the the criticism, but to not have people understand that there's no alternative situation and that I'm on their side. I'm a wildlife biologist. I am dedicating my life to conservation. This is my job. This is my mission. This is why I am here on this planet. No conservation organization wants a monoculture of crop compared to primary rainforest, but we don't live in an ideal world where those are the options. And all of the major conservation organizations, World Wildlife Fund, Wildlife Conservation Society, Conservation International, the Jane Goodall Institute, they all support sustainable palm oil over boycotting palm oil completely. And some of the criticism that I received was that I wasn't an orangutan expert or that I wasn't a palm oil expert. Palm oil expert, sure, yeah, I get that. But I have done some research, I have looked at some of the studies, and this is the solution I believe that's moving forward. But you don't need to be an orangutan expert to understand this problem. The only reason why orangutans are linked to palm oil is because their habitat is being destroyed. You can study orangutans inside out. You could study their cognition, their social structure, their genomic evolutionary history, but none of that is gonna give you any insight as to how to actually solve this palm oil problem and to make it more sustainable. So, and this person who talked about this also said they asked if I was what kind of doctor I was. And, you know, I said a conservation biologist, but again, I don't work on, on orangutans. I don't work on, pal on palm oil. And she's like, well, that's kind of like, you know, going to a dermatologist if you have a kidney problem. But at least I'm a doctor <laughs> using the same analogy that she used. It's like, at least I'm a doctor, which suggests I can more likely treat your kidney issue than you can because you're not a doctor at all. But not that I care. I totally respect her opinion and stuff, but I just thought that was funny. It was like, this kind of makes you look less credible than it makes me. And then I had somebody who said like, well, anyone can call themselves a doctor nowadays. And I'm like, no, I'm a doctor. I got my doctorate from a Research One University. I did the work. It took me six and a half years of my life. It was difficult. I have like 20 peer-reviewed peer publications and scientific journals. I understand how science works. I understand how conservation works. I am not just calling myself a doctor. Anyways, that really frustrated me. But I am always polite. I am always nice to them. I always respect their opinion. I just wish they would see that I am on their side, that I am pushing for the protection of biodiversity. I am pushing for, for orangutans to be around in the future. That is what I want. That's what we all want. And it just really frustrates me that there's all this infighting and hating and 
you know, kind of meanness. And somebody's like, well, what is what even is a fancy scientist? And you just got to click on my website and you'll see. But it's like, you know, if in case you're wondering, a fancy scientist is just something that I made up because the teachers I was working with called me that. And I use fancy scientists to try to defy stereotypes about what scientists look like. And I just happen to like fancy things. So it's something that stuck stuck with me. But we shouldn't be putting each other down in the conservation community. We should be working with each other and we should be lifting each other up. Even if somebody is not doing something to the degree that you want them to do, if they are making some sort of progress, you should be elevating them and maybe pushing them harder, like how I said we should do for these companies, ask them to do more. But I don't believe in this like overt criticism and putting people down, especially when you have no solutions. That's the thing. These people don't have any solutions. I would love to hear an alternative solution that would be better for for wildlife. The final thing I just want to mention is that we have to work on conservation problems, on saving wildlife in a real world context. And I might call this episode, conservationists need to stop living in la-la land, or it might actually probably be something about palm oil, but we can't keep living in this idealistic world because those solutions don't work. And there have been so many cases of where conservationists, scientists have a great idea about saving wildlife. But if you don't have the community support behind your idea, it will fail because wildlife needs habitat. It needs the local community. And if the local community do not cooperate with what you want to happen, then you will not succeed. That is a huge conservation lesson that I don't think people really understand until they start working in conservation. And even when I went to Kenya the first time, so much of our lessons at the School for Field Studies, they were all about the people. And I, at the time, I was actually kind of irritated because I wanted to learn about the animals. And, you know, the people just weren't as fun for me to learn about. I have since then obviously changed my my tune about that completely. And now I think that the people are the most important thing. Because in Kenya, for example, there are situations with Amboseli National Park where this was, it's a a wetland area and a very dry habitat and a very arid savanna. So the wildlife comes to these swamps in Amboseli to drink, to wallow in the swamps, the elephants, it's really cool. You can see them like walking in the swamps, like up to their shoulders. But the local community, especially the Maasai, those are the people who mostly live there, would also use these swamps to water their cattle for hundreds of years before the existence of Amboseli National Park. So when national parks were established, people were kicked out. That was the rule, that you can't go into a national park unless you have a vehicle, which most people living in Kenya do not own vehicles. They're really expensive. Or... and. You have to, you know, go on the roads. And then also, if you're trying to go in there to water your cow, you're not going to be able to transport all your cow cows in a vehicle unless you, you know, have a bed or a truck or something. And even so, you're not allowed outside the vehicle in parks because it's dangerous. There's, you know, animals like hyenas and lions. 
And most Kenyans cannot even afford to go into the parks, honestly. So this land was taken from them by the government. They had used this land for a long time, and now they didn't have anywhere to water their cattle because wildlife was being protected. And of course, people got angry. They need water for their animals. This is their livelihood. This is how they make money. And if they don't have that, they get angry. They took it out on the animals when it was really them being angry at the government. And Ambicelli used to have rhinos in it. Now there are no more rhinos there. They were, they were in addition to being poached, the local community also speared them. They speared elephants. And that was a message to the government. Here in the United States, we have a similar situation with gray wolves, where even though gray wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park, and it has been a conservation success story, outside the national park, the wolves are not tolerated. A lot of people hate wolves. And even though it can be illegal to shoot wolves um, during certain time periods since the reintroductions and across different states, in some cases it is legally legal to shoot them when um, it is the proper season, when there are enough numbers in their population. But in general, there's a lot of struggles because wolves are illegally shot. Here in North Carolina, we have the red wolves. It's the same situation where they're living in a, a national refuge, Alligator River National Refuge, which isn't even the best habitat for, for wolves because it's so swampy. And they use other people's land. Animals don't know park boundaries. They go outside the land and the people they're not happy about the wolves being there. So some of it, they think that the wolves take their livestock or the wolves actually do take livestock, although it's not as much as people think that it is. But there's also just this anti-government sentiment there and people see the wolves as government intervention. They like to have ownership over their land, the animals over their land and they shoot the wolves. And in the red wolf situation, these animals are very precious. There are only between 20 to 40 wild red wolves in this area. And this is the only place in the world where they are right now. There are a couple of hundred in captivity in zoos across across the United States. But again, these are the only wild animals. So you really have to think about the community and you can't just take jobs away from people as much as i know you don't really care about the people that much or care more about orangutans than people if you just shut down this industry and take jobs away from people even if they have slave-like jobs with horrible human rights abuses they're gonna have to do something to take money they're gonna have to do an alternative and often people turn to nature. They go inside and they try to figure out what can they use from the environment to to make money. Is it is it poaching? Whether it's plants or animals, is it illegal mining or illegal deforestation? There's tons of stuff like this happening around the world. In um, Kenya, they have a problem with burning for charcoal that's affecting ecosystems that's degrading them. So you have to think about people. You have to think about their jobs or otherwise your conservation efforts will fail. And 
again, that is why I am so passionate about science communication and conservation communication right now as a scientist. So I hope, I don't know if these Twitter people will listen. This isn't even really meant for them. It's more meant for everyone that I just hope we can all like work together towards something that we agree on, even if it's not perfect, even if it's if it's broken, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We got to fix the system. If you want some tips on dealing with haters, just let it go. Like the Frozen song, don't let it bother you. If you have haters, it means you've made it. So that's the way I look at it. Although I, like I said, I don't consider them my haters, but somehow I got involved in this palm oil and they think I'm like the biggest supporter of palm oil, that somehow I'm making money off of palm oil but I am not. The only the only involvement I have in palm oil is that I am an affiliate for Beauty Counter. They use RSPO palm oil in some of their products. And um, you can purchase Beauty Counter through me. I make probably about $100 to $200 a month on it. So that's my big incentive into the industry. That's my big corruptive link. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. On the next episode, I think I'm going to switch gears and talk about self-care. I This is something I really learned over the past few years, and I'm still learning. I'm actually still bad at it in some aspects. I'm good at some aspects, other aspects. I'm not going to. We'll talk about that. But again, even though this podcast is about wildlife conservation and science, I'm talking about these issues because these things that we do to ourselves, like imposter syndrome and bad self-care and feeling bad about ourselves, affect our ability to, to communicate science, to protect wildlife, because we're not as effective when we don't take care of ourselves and when we don't feel good about ourselves. And these are things that I really struggled with. So I wanna add these episodes to help you out because I know for a fact that lots of people are out there struggling with it. I get lots of direct messages. I get lots of comments and feedback. So I think this is really important. So take care of yourselves and be kind to each other, be kind to animals, even be kind to the the Twitter people who are being a little bit mean to me. 